I'm Dr. Orion Taraban, and this is Psychax Better Living Through Psychology. And the topic of today's short talk is the most dangerous thing for a relationship. Apologies for the clickbaity title, but here you are. In today's episode, I will be discussing the most concerning sign that your relationship might be in trouble. It's a little counterintuitive, but that's kind of how we like to roll on Psychax. Let's get to it. Many people want to know what causes relationships to fail. And the general consensus is that relationships often fail because one partner kind of starts to deteriorate. Maybe this person stopped putting effort into the courtship or into his or her appearance. Maybe this person hasn't really advanced his career or her lifestyle or has fallen into hard financial straits. Or maybe this person has become depressed or addicted or otherwise comfortably numb. There are lots of ways this can occur, but the idea here is that the relationship fails when one partner fails or refuses to recover from some kind of setback. And that can certainly be the case. However, in my clinical experience, that's not what I usually see. There's this old joke. It's not really a joke because it's not really funny. But the joke basically says that the fastest way to end a relationship is for one partner to start therapy. And what's the grain of truth in this unfunny joke? That relationships are more effectively destabilized not when one person starts doing worse, but when one person starts doing better. When it comes to the long-term health of a relationship, success, especially if it only comes to one of the partners, is often much more dangerous than failure. Let's examine why this might be the case. The fact of the matter is that improvement is destabilizing. When one person starts to grow in therapy, starts to process his or her emotional baggage, and begins taking responsibility for his or her own happiness, this forces a shift in the relationship. When one person achieves great professional success, arrives at a position of power or fame, and enjoys significantly more social opportunity, this forces a shift in the relationship. When one person starts to work out, attend to his or her health, and improve overall attractiveness, this forces a shift in the relationship. And this is because in a system where all the parts are interconnected, it's not possible for one thing to change without causing an alteration in all the related parts. It's not always possible to predict exactly how these related parts will change, especially if the system is particularly complex, but we can expect alteration, so to speak, to ripple outward from the source of the change. Now, you might say, but Orion, that happens when one person gets worse, doesn't it? it? Isn't that a change that forces a shift in all the related parts of the system? Indeed, it does. However, this is not nearly as destabilizing as you might think. And that's because you have to understand that when a change occurs within a system, the most frequent response from the other parts of that system is to reinstate the pre-change conditions. That is, most systems have a tendency toward homeostasis. And this is great news if the change in question is negative. It makes it more likely that the partner will bounce back from the setback. But not so great news if the change in question is positive as it increases the likelihood that the progress will be undermined to preserve the status quo. Now, if someone is in a relationship and their partner starts to deteriorate, 
This can be a frustrating and inconvenient and anxiety-provoking situation. However, if we're honest, it's also not without its compensations. These aren't things that people will generally admit, sometimes not even to themselves, but there are a lot of, let's say, emotional opportunities for the non-failing partner in this situation. Opportunities that, if he or she is not careful, can very well become traps for both parties because they keep people in dysfunctional relationships far longer than they otherwise would. For instance, though it's not pleasant to admit, one partner's failure could be the other partner's opportunity to feel superior or righteously indignant. And to the extent that this failure is intractable, like an addiction or a flaw or a foible, the partner now has a perpetual scapegoat, someone they can now blame for all of their unhappiness. Not so fun fact. Relationships in which one partner is an alcoholic are more likely to end not when the addict is in the throes of his or her addiction, but when this person sobers up. And this is partly because the non-alcoholic partner can no longer use the alcoholic as a scapegoat for all of the pain and suffering and disappointment in his or her life. If only this person didn't drink. If only I didn't have to spend all of my time cleaning up after your messes or solving all of her problems. The addiction gives the non-addict the opportunity to feel morally superior and to externalize responsibility for his or her suffering. That's why these people need to go to Al-Anon. What's more, if the partner in question is of a more codependent persuasion, the deterioration of one could be a project for the other, a source of purpose and meaning. I will do what it takes to get you sober. We'll get through this difficult situation. In its more positive aspect, this can help bring people closer together. However, in its more insidious manifestations, it can give rise to perpetual victims so that heroes can have someone to save. White knights and damsels in distress, for instance, seem to have a way of finding each other. In any case, my point is that the deterioration of a partner is not devoid of potential benefits. Now, before I go any further, if you're liking what you're hearing, please consider sending this episode to someone who might benefit from its message, because it's word-of-mouth referrals like this that really help to make the channel grow. You can also hit the super thanks button, that's the three little dots in the lower right-hand corner, and tip me in proportion to the value you believe you've received from this message, because it's your donations that make all of this happen, and I'm really grateful for your support. Now, on the other hand, the significant improvement of a partner can be much trickier for the other person to handle. It's hard to be a perpetual cheerleader, and the improvement of the other can be perceived as an indictment of our own lack of progress. This is especially true the more the partners perceive themselves to be equals, as it creates the conditions for envy to occur. Envy is a complicated emotion, but one of its many preconditions is that it can only arise in the context of perceived equals. If you don't perceive yourself to be someone's equal, then his or her success or superiority is experienced as admiration. However, the more similar people believe themselves to be, the more likely they will feel envious of another's progress, even if, or rather especially if, it's a loved one. The person who isn't improving 
may also start to feel as if he or she is holding the other person back or that he or she is increasingly the problem in the relationship. This is a narcissistic injury and it can throw all those, all but those with the strongest sense of self for a loop. And let me tell you, as hard as it, it can be to be in a relationship with a problematic person, it's often easier to deal with someone else's problem than to feel as though you yourself are the problem. This feeling causes people to act in, well, problematic ways, including, but not limited to, sabotaging the improving partner's progress or undermining the improving partner's perception or experience of that progress. Success is also destabilizing here because it creates new and different opportunities. The successful partner may suddenly have access to many more people, some of whom may be more desirable potential mates. The opportunity is threatening and creates the conditions for jealousy and games of control. The idea here is, frankly, is to prevent the improving partner from leaving. On the other hand, dysfunctional relationships are often very secure. And the reason is that it would actually be very difficult to have that particular dysfunctional relationship with anyone else. Dysfunctional relationships tend to be specialized in their dysfunction, which makes it harder for either partner to leave even if it would be better for everyone involved. To leave a dysfunctional relationship, one or both partners would have to learn new ways of relating, new ways of being in order to have a relationship with someone else. It's like the dysfunctional people have become koalas. They can only eat eucalyptus leaves. And this creates barriers against exiting the relationship even if the relationship approaches misery. By contrast, it's actually very easy to have a relationship with a successful, high-functioning individual. These people are omnivores. They can eat whatever they want, and it's not going to cause any problems. Do you understand? And this perspective has been corroborated by the literature. For instance, the French sociologist Emile Durkheim discovered that suicide rates did not go up during periods of hardship or economic contraction, but counterintuitively, during periods of rapid social improvement. The idea here is that when times are hard, people buckle down, join together, and strive toward a common goal with hope for better days. The hardship creates the opportunity for union and meaning-making, just like in a high-functioning relationship in which one person suffers a setback. On the other hand, periods of progress and growth were far more destabilizing, as they tended to disrupt the limits within which people habitually operated. This sense of limitlessness which Durkheim called anime, created a kind of vertigo, a vortex in which life seemed to fall apart in the midst of plenty and progress. And it is precisely this anime produced by the success of one partner that is one of the most difficult storms for a relationship to weather. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. And if you've gotten this far, you might as well like this episode and subscribe to this channel. You may also consider becoming a channel member with perks like priority review of comments or booking a paid consultation. As always, thank you for listening.